my eyeliner looks really dramatic because I did that thing where I kept going wrong and I had to keep adding more eyeliner to fix it, but only on one side. Mm-hmm. So the other side like looks like normal eyeliner and then this is just like, I'm getting a little party by myself. I'm adding medicine for two days, so I'm pretty sleepy. I will en- endeavour to bring joy and laughter and such. We just had a storm that was better than expected. On a national level, that's because the wind hit later than it was expected to, therefore missing the spring tide and not creating the feared tidal surge. So Shropshire is not underwater, in short. Which is nice Yeah, for Shropshire. For Shropshire, certainly. It doesn't flood very often here. Yeah, we um, we haven't had too much to worry about. We were just out of the red warning zone by a few miles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like my office was in the red warning zone. <laughs> I'm assuming you didn't go into the office. I did not. I wasn't going to anyway. It's a Friday. I worked from home Friday. Um, I possibly didn't work as efficiently as usual. I might do a bit of work later to make up for that because uh, I was keeping one eye on the massive tree. There's a river right at the bottom of my garden, pretty much as you know. And on the other side of that, there, there are these huge willows, like whatever oh, 60 yeah. year old things and over the last five years they've been coming down one by one and there's one that jack reckons won't hit the house but might hit the garden if it comes down in our direction yeah and i think might hit the house <laughs> and i was just kind of staring out the kitchen window at it going, hmm. it wasn't very exciting here i didn't see a single wheelie bin rolling down the street or any such luck i saw one rolling up the hill yeah, you saw one going on an adventure up a main road. It was very sweet. I say that. I saw, also saw a car swerving around it, but I'm sure it was fine. <laughs> I was thinking about running out and like grabbing the bin, but then I thought, what am I going to do with that? I, I have to run into the road in this weather, which seems dangerous anyway. I know that roof tiles and guttering go flying all over this fucking road. Yeah. And then if I grab the bin, what then? Then I'm in charge of a bin that's going to go flying off if I let go of it. <laughs> like, and if you're out the front of your house as well, it's not like you can bring it into your house. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or bring it around. I have a car park at the back of my house and then like a line of trees. So none of the trees really looked risky of coming down. I think a few branches may have gone. But it means there's always a lot of dead leaves and branches out there. Oh, that's nice dramatic swirling. It was very fun to watch out the window until the wind started consistently picking up huge clumps at once and then just bringing them all to my front balcony. <laughs> Which, considering my house is made of plastic was a terrifying noise that, despite the fact it was happening throughout the day, still made me jump every fucking time. Oh, it was like hitting the wall. Yeah, it was like Um, blowing up clouds of leaves and blowing them into my wall slash windows. It was fun, but I spent all of yesterday playing PlayStation. I had a lovely day. Good. Anyway, I say it better than expected. Obviously, three people died, which is very sad. But it could have been worse. It could have been worse. I expected it to be worse. Yeah, I, I, I spend quite a lot of time writing about storms and their aftermaths now, so it, it's made me more paranoid. Oh, look at this. Ep- Epstein ex-associate found dead in jail. That's a surprise. Shocking. Mm-hmm. Found hanged. Someone Epsteined him, I guess, in France. I'm not sure we should use Epstein as a, wor- as a verb. Why not? I think it's great. Yeah, fair. Everyone knows what it means. Yeah, true. Is there a more efficient word for murder and set up as suicide because they might say something about the powerful? There probably is, I just don't know what it is. Epstein probably works, it just feels like it could be used either for that or for acquired a lot of young girls. Oh, there is that, yeah, I suppose it's context yeah. specific. I was about to do our usual, I hanglid, you hanglid. <laughs> I'm not going to do that with Epstein. <laughs> Let's not conjugate Epstein. <laughs> conjugate, thank you. Let us not conjugate, consummate, conflagrate, well maybe conflagrate. Who was it, Francine? Harvey Epstein? Harvey Epstein, yes. <laughs> Well-known asshole, Harvey Epstein and Jeffrey Weinstein. 
Yes, both as far two. as I know, dead. As, no, one of them's alive. Dead, I think, yeah. Oh, okay. Fine. <laughs> if you They've say so. Epstein. <laughs> Fuck. Ugh. We're functioning. I spent all of yesterday playing the new Horizon uh, Forbidden West, which is which is very exciting for me. Mm, that's good, is it? It's very good. It's very pretty. They've leaned a bit harder into the platformer element, which I'm still 50-50 on whether or not I like, but they have also made the climbing shit feel a bit more natural. What does platformer elephant element mean? I mean, the, a lot more of the focus in like side quests and things is like jumping puzzles and figuring out how to climb from A to B. Oh, no, I'm not that into that, but I'm sure it's fine. Just before Shades of Grey sequel is coming out, finally, finally, 12 years on, something like that, in August. And I'm very excited. I've ordered two coffees, one for me, one for Becky, because Becky never gave my first copy back. And then I got her another one because she lost it and was sad. And this will hopefully circumvent that process. But I'm very excited. I read Shades of Grey. It's the only Just Before I've ever read, actually. I've not read the Thursday. Is it Thursday Next? This is. I've read a couple of Thursday Next. Alex was very into them, I think. Yeah. Red Side Story, that's what the new one's called. I wasn't as into them as I was this. I might try them again at some point. I don't know. Yeah, but I read Shades of Grey. You and I were at Download together, and on the last day it was raining and neither of us fancy going to see bands and getting mm. cold, so we just sat in our tent and read all day, and when we finished mm. our respective books, we swapped, and that's how I read Shades of Grey. I don't remember what I read, do you? No, I can't remember at all. I so, um, Some fantasy book or another, I think. Might have been Trudy Caravan. It was probably either Trudy Canavan or Patrick Rothfuss. Not Caravan, sorry. It wasn't Patrick yeah. Rothfuss. I didn't do cut Patrick Rothfuss until I was living with him. I don't remember the books I read 11 years ago. I barely remember the books I read two days ago. Well, I'd have never remember you read this one at Download if you hadn't. You're not doing too badly. I've still not finished Fountainhead. Speaking of remembering books we've read. What? Oh, yeah, that's what we're here for. All right, let's make a podcast so I can go and get some medication. <laughs> let's make a podcast, Francine. Oh, wait, where's Hello. my book? Wait, sorry, hold on. <laughs> I've left my book in the other room again. <laughs> I love you. So, speaking of remembering books we've read, let's yeah. make a podcast. I've remembered it now. <laughs> speaking of remembering to bring the book to the podcast, you know what they say, you can bring a book to a podcast, but you can't... Make it pod. St- ...stay on topic for more than five minutes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Tree Shall Make Ye Fret, a podcast in which we are usually reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time, in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. And I'm Francine Carroll. And this is our final bit of discussion on the Bromeliad as we talk wings. Wings! Flying now! Time for fly! Time for flying. Uh, Note on spoilers before we get started. We are a spoiler light podcast. Obviously, heavy spoilers for the book Wings and the Bromeliad trilogy, but we will avoid spoiling any major events, future or otherwise, in the Discworld series for the sake of this. So you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. Clinging uncomfortably to the back of a goose. I uh, also fucked that up and forgot to mention that we're saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, <laughs> The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there. So you do, Journey, can come on the listener with, with us. <laughs> well, that's the sentence we just said. Tried, tried to take the piss out of you and just double down and take the piss out of myself. Fantastic. So that's me right. Let's go. Can only go up from here. No, it can't. Much like our gnome friends. Eh? Uh, have we got anything to follow up on? I've got yes. follow-up. Have you got follow-up? You go first then, because I've got to get the webpage. Cool. Uh, listener Lily Vanilli, uh, who's a lovely listener, who sent us Hagstones, that one. 
Oh, yay. Our local, friendly, not our local, hedge witch. Uh, on Hawthorn Trees. Oh. Uh, apparently, nice, yes. it will be out soon. When the Hawthorn leaves first come on the trees, they're a good snack. If you're out and your belly is rumbling, eating a small handful will kind of trick your senses into feeling like you've had food. And oh, they have a sharp... Bad. I have a sharp, dry creaminess about them that you could confuse with cheese if you haven't eaten for a while. <laughs> Excellent. That is good to know. Thank you, Lily, for the context. Our one Tumblr person who messages me. What, what do you call someone who you um, talk to? Re- not recipient. Correspondent. I, correspondent. Our one Tumblr correspondent. Oh, God. <laughs> it's really a lot more apparent when I try and have a conversation, just how bad <laughs> it is. Oh, God. Um, so yeah, told us about statues under the sea because I was going on about how I like that idea. So Luxar says, have you heard of that one Italian guy who sank a bunch of marble statues off the coast of Tuscany to protect marine life? It keeps illegal trawlers from doing that both because it's an art installation now that's to be protected and by literally making it impossible to trawl without getting the next caught up in a huge ass statue. No, I had not heard of that. I was very pleased to and Loxar even was kind enough to link it for us. So they did my research for me. Thank you. And yeah, it's really cool. And I will I will link to that in the show notes. So thank you. Awesome. I like underwater statues. That's a new thing I know I like. <laughs> thank you, cool guy in Tustic Tuscany. Fuck Tuscany. me. Yeah. You've got the excuse of not being it's, medicated. It's I'm catching, just like that's this. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I am contagiously uh, incompetent. <laughs> Onwards and upwards then. Yes, better had. What happened last time? Stuff. Previously on the Bromeliad, the gnomes are caught between a rock and a hard place as they deal with the dual dangers of winter and humankind. While a few intrepid optimists traipse off to find Florida, the rest of the crew are left to cope with a religious uprising, followed by a rapid religious down-squashing, and the humans heard of heavy machinery. After a brief train track tangent and rabbit hole interlude, the new gnomish leaders take control of Jacob, whose monstrous jaws lead the charge into... Oh, bugger. Oh, never mind, here comes a UFO. Beautiful. <laughs> it's lucky these aren't for people who haven't read it. <laughs> don't make much of an effort to make them comprehensible anymore. It's all right. I'm not percent sure the previously on things started as a bit. Anyway, so tell us what happened this time, Joanna. This time on Wings. We rejoin Masculine Gerda and Angelo after their unceremonial, unceremonious disappearance from book two as they hide in an airport bin. The thing directs them to grandson Richard, 39, and they sneak onto the Concorde as Masculine attempts to explain satellites. After a brief frog interlude, the gnomes hide on the plane and the floor becomes the wall during takeoff. An eventful flight, including Angelo and the Thing both attempting to take the reins with varying results, leads to the intrepid trio, ta- trio taking refuge in grandson Richard 39's carry-on luggage. The plane lands in Florida and our ragtag crew of misplaced misfits tag along to Richard's hotel as the satellite launch draws near. As the frogs travel on, Masculine and co. steal a sandwich and take shade outside, T-minus 18 miles and four hours away from the satellite launch. Out in the Floridian wilds, our heroes meet a new band of gnomes. They lack a common language, but share a meal as the thing translates from the locals close to gnomish linguistics. NASA appears to be a local deity creatively making clouds. These somewhat nomadic gnomes have met others before, and Gerda and the gang realise they really aren't so alone in the world. With native support, they take flight on geese to the satellite launch site, or as close as they can. Pion of the Florida gnomes joins the group as they get close to the shuttle just in time, and the thing transmits itself to the satellite, draining its power in the process. Masculine takes off to the launch site to get the thing some handy electricity, as the shuttle doesn't quite do what the humans want. 
Uh, homesick hero reveals himself to the humans and, boxed up and on display, the thing gets charged enough to wake. It explains that the humans believe Masculine is a recent visitor to the planet, and as frogs watch the moon grow brighter, the thing breaks Masculine out and the ship comes in to land. Masculine introduces himself to grandson Richard, 39, as the ship, having acquitted Angelo, acquired Angelo and the others en route, makes a wobbly... <laughs> sorry, that was my autocorrect. Makes a it's wobbly nice landing... <laughs> As grandson Richard, 39, learns that his grandfather's gnomish stories might be slightly true, Masculine makes it onto the ship. The humans attempt to contact the ship, futilely, and Masculine finds himself surrounded by gnome-sized furniture as this thing steers with Angelo's help. After a brief stop in South America for some fantastic little frogs, the ship follows a returning Concorde to the quarry, arriving just in time to catch the conflict and catch us up to the end of Diggers. The rest of gnomes make it onto the ship, and as Masculine plans to find them a world of their own, Gerda stays behind with a duplicated thing, ready to set out and spread the word to the world's gnomes. Yay. Yay. Good. Did you see any loincloths? I did not see any loincloths. Oh, well, never mind. Moving on then. Uh... <laughs> no, no. Fuck you. Fuck you. There are multiple helicopters in this book. Go on, tell us about the helicopters. I haven't bothered to write down literally every time a helicopter is mentioned. There's like three or four, though. Yeah. Uh, but the main one I've noticed is that our gnomes actually get to travel on a helicopter. Our main characters are on a helicopter. The bit is justified. Are they? Wait, when are they on a helicopter? Uh, they go on the helicopter with Richard to get to the hotel. Oh, of course they do, yeah. They do. What yeah. sort of track is it thing, said Gerda? It is a helicopter. Yes, and there are helicopters near the NASA space, which is why the geese can't get closer. Yes. Gerda starts to ask what keeps it up in the, and the thing explains science. Science, good. That's all right then. Yes, exactly so. This was fun though. I enjoyed this book. It was. I think, I think I liked the last one better, but I did like this one. I think I like both equally, but that's because to me it feels like it is actually just one mm. book. Yeah, that is true. Which is something I'm going to talk about a lot more later on. But in the meantime, uh, quotes. She says, days comes, days go. Who needs to believe anything? She sees things happen with her own eyes, and these are things she knows happen. Belief is a wonderful thing for those who need it, she says. But she knows this place belongs to NASA because its name is on signs. Handy dandy. Good old shrub. I've got, I pointed to my mouth and they understood I was hungry. Ah, said the thing, to take me to your larder. Pardon? I will explain. I have told you that I monitor communications all the time. There is a joke. That is a humorous anecdote or story known to humans. It concerns a ship from another world landing on this planet and strange creatures get out and say to a petrol pump, dustbin, slot machine or similar mechanical device, take me to your leader. I surmise this is because they are unaware of the shape of humans. I've substituted the similar word, larder, referring to a place where food is stored. This is a humorous pun, or play on words, for hilarious effect. <laughs> I fucking love the thing. <laughs> well done, thing. <laughs> I love the bit where it's like, I think it wants you to tell it it's a good boy. It wants you to tell it he's done well. Masculine. 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 Yes, let's talk about the characters. Let's talk about the characters. Uh, Masculine has a, has a journey. He does go on a journey in this one, doesn't he? He does. Physical psychological spiritual delete as appropriate i like his uh moment of right near the beginning they're in the airport bin and he finally realizes he really needs to ask he asked the thing to help them find richard and 
it's just him realizing he does have to ask for help mm, yeah. and then immediately sort of getting defensive with a, I don't know, you might think you don't want to help me, but you're going to help me because otherwise I'll, I'll leave you and you won't get to talk to anyone. And then you'll think, hmm, maybe I should have helped him, except it's now when you're going to help me. Yes, I am. Um, that was I almost put that down on my quote just because the idea of blackmailing the little box was so fantastic. But yeah, <laughs> poor little box. <laughs> but I, I kind of always worry about like what Mac- Masculine's going to do now. I know their plan is to find worlds for gnomes, but I think he's went from not knowing there's really anything bigger mm-hmm. to the store to the the ship and all of the universe. Mm. and every time he's just been focused on getting to the bigger place and now he's here is it a bit like fuck i like i feel like masculine has an existential crisis right after this book yeah maybe although i feel like the aim has always been to find somewhere that was like designed for gnomes and the ship is probably that yeah so we might be able to chill out for a little bit before his crisis Uh, probably safest place to have an existential crisis middle of space yeah i feel like that's where i that's where i would go if i had a choice Mm -hmm. but Okay, I have I have too many existential crises to be going to space for all of them. True. Hopefully, everyone's got known for their agoraphobia because space. Yeah. Well, Spacious. I mean, they're in the ship, though, aren't they? That's true. That's true. They've got some walls. They've got a floor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're not having to look out over wide open fields. The thing. The thing. Sarcastic fuck. Literally all my notes on the thing are just him have uh, him it having very cute moments explaining stuff to masculine in ways you can understand and going mm. with someone with the right name is here and waiting in a special room to get on a big silver bird that flies in the sky to go to a place called Florida. Yes, for something that's meant to be just a computer, it's a bit of a dick. I love how much emotion and uh, mood Pratchett manages to put into this pretty much inanimate object yes <laughs> especially when it gets really disdainful to the other computers because they're all a bit stupid compared to it it just keeps going on about it it's very mean it managed to express disdain without actually having anything to express it with yeah so it uses its words quite well for that as well <laughs> it does and i think it's quite sweet about uh when you're sort of like oh but i wanted to land the plane Yes, yes. Well, he's a bit like Angelo in that respect, isn't he? I was going to say that kind of takes us very neatly to Angelo, who is probably one of the ones with the most in common with the thing, because really he does just want to have a go on the plane. He does just want to have a go on the plane. He's a bit annoying throughout, but he does. He, he's, he, he comes into his own at the end there. He does come into his own at the end there, but yes, he's kind of irksome, but so much what he's annoying about is his conflict with Gerda, which I'm going to talk about in a bigger way later. But yes, Gerda. Mm. I think it's incredibly sweet when they get onto the Concorde and he has this huge amount of nostalgia for carpet. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I forgot which book it was for a second. Um, and that carpet wasn't that big of a deal, I mean. Oh, yeah, as compared to the, to the carpet, carpet people. people. Yeah, yeah. It's a bigger carpet. deal. In... Yeah. There's also, um, I think I mentioned back when we were talking about the first one, that I couldn't really remember anything about these books apart from one single moment. Mm. And that moment was Gerda cussing the hole in his sock. Oh, really? That's the bit you remembered. I like that. I don't know why that stuck in my brain, but (laughs) he sees grandson Richard 39's holy socks and then uh, immediately, well, not immediately, but he then feels better by cutting a hole in his own sock. Reminds me of Regina George and everyone cutting holes holes out in the tank top. And everyone just happened to have really nicely coloured bras that fit them perfectly. Yeah, yeah. That's what you get when you go to Hollywood High School. 
what a decent bra fitting. Um, also, this was that time in the the, the early two thousands that everyone's bra, bra strap showed, so they probably were. Oh yeah, it was always like tank top and a mini skirt, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, like bright pink bra. As opposed to my uh, late two thousands jeans and a nice top wardrobe. Yeah, felt very sophisticated whenever I wore jeans and a nice top. I know. I always want to defend ourselves against Gen X, uh, not Gen X. They don't really bother with anything. Uh, Gen, Gen, Z, Gen Z. When they're like, oh, stupid, bloody 2011 fashion, look at the state of them. I wanted to find myself, but honestly, no, it was a bad time for fashion. However, I, I do agree with the resurgence of Y2K fashion. Bits of it I approve of. Uh, I would l- not like to discuss how many skinny scarves I owned. They don't appear to have come back, luckily. Yeah, and the low-rise jeans thing was never never really something i could relate to i would i, I prefer low rise jeans it took me a long time to get on board with any kind of high-waisted jeans uh, um, i'm not shaped for low rise jeans the the, the uh I, I didn't understand the new concept it was it was quite a revelation when i did but anyway um, anyway what the fuck are we talking about gerda <laughs> gerda gerda who has a very good crisis of faith i like actually getting to see that vulnerability in him when he's talking to the thing mm. And it's not even so much he doesn't know what to believe in, it's that he doesn't know why he should be believing in something. Mm. Like his belief in the uh, in Arnold Bros back in the store was because that was obviously the way things were and then obviously he's going through this existential thing because of all the changes he's been through and this journey he's been on. Yeah. His spiritual journey. Spiritual journey. But he's... Yeah, I, I like his his eventual kind of clicking into place. That um, oh, what was the 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 priest of the other tribe called? Um, top knot, top knot. Yeah, <laughs> that he and they, they were very similar people, basically. Yeah, he kind of realizes he's basically just met himself, and it makes him a lot less combative. And then when he finally decides to do what they're doing, what what he does that he wants to stay behind and find mm. the other gnomes. It's like he finally has something to believe in that has a purpose. He's not believing in a higher power. He's believing in gnomes. Yeah, it's a higher purpose, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And in the ship, which is the closest he's got to a higher power, and that's more he needs to almost make it a religion for the rest of the gnomes to organise them and get them into one place so they can get on the ship eventually. Yeah, that's nice. I like it. It's an interesting concept that, uh, or an interesting conclusion that they came to anyway that... um, this isn't just our ship. This is we have to we have to go get all the other names we've never heard of. That's a nice, nice conclusion. One it is a nice conclusion. Yeah, um, grandson Richard, the unexpected 39. hero of our. I say unexpected, of course not. He is, of course, my um, my hero. Post Raphael Wall, etc. Yeah, the uh, the protagonist, antagonist, romantic interest, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the power behind the throne. I just really love when he finally speaks to Masculine mm. and realizes uh, that his grandfather always talked about the little people in the walls of the shop. Yeah. It's just, yeah, just happens to be the one person who's going to be most receptive to all of this. Yeah. yeah. And it's after the gnomes go through the whole book with this fear of being put in boxes and kept as pets mm. to finally find someone who does know of them as just a story and does not put him in a box. Yes, whereas the scientists who, in theory, are smarter 
immediately do the whole in a tank. <laughs> in a tank. Uh, and then, yeah, we have Top Knot, Shrub, Pion and the Florida Gnomes, which is what I'm naming my band. Vaguely problematic description, otherwise very cool little tribe. Um, I like that they walk around like geese in little V formations. I like that they picked up this habit from the geese and now mm. do it properly. If I was gnome-sized, I would not go near a fucking goose. Well, they, they're nice if you bond with them early, aren't they? So. Oh yeah, I suppose if you raise them from, from goslings. Yeah. Goslings? They do the imp- yeah, goslings. They do the imprinting thing. Oh yeah, I suppose so. Shrub's got that Granny Morky old woman properly in charge thing mm-hmm. that I like more in this. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. I'm not sure it is the same thing. I think she's in charge. It's not just like, oh, she's in charge of Topknot. They're married. She seems to be the leader of the tribe. Topknot's just the priest. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a different dynamic, but it's that still that thing of the woman in power. Yeah, I don't think it's it's the it's the trope really. It's just a. She's oh yeah, no. Of this. But I like she's got the similar attitude of sort of, no, it's fine. I'm just I'm right now. Let's go on and yes, get on yeah. with things. <laughs> yeah. And then Pion, who I think is quite sweet, um, and I do enjoy as he's leaving them to go off with with our gnomes, and some sort of oh, you know, we can't, don't want to do long goodbyes. It's like yeah, all right, I'm ready to go. What do you want? Yeah, yeah. It's the distance thing. I assume is just because they've they've got the geese. And they just don't consider like a season separation to be much of anything. Yeah, they're used to this uh, traveling thing. Yeah, that's nice. And he's uh, very smart. Doesn't stop to argue with people. Just runs when necessary. Yeah, and he's only fourteen months old. He's already been to Alaska. Well, quite. I wonder if he'll ever visit printed in Hong Kong. And Grimmer. Briefly, we only get her right at the end. We get her kind of reuniting with Masklin, catching him up. And I like Masklin's sort of realisation of humans ought to thank us for getting here on time. Yeah, the, the in, internal power. Good she stuff. crackled with so much internal power that she was nearly throwing off sparks. <laughs> yeah, I like that she's happy with the frogs. I like that. I'm glad she gets to see the frogs and that she gets to think of it as one of the greatest things in the world. Yes, there's a, they have to be a little smart ass, don't they? It's like, well, probably not the greatest thing in the world. It's like, come on, mate, just let, <laughs> just let it be. Let, <laughs> let the woman enjoy her fucking frogs. Locations, Concord. Concord, yeah. I wanted to talk about it briefly because um, context, context. My first of... note is that it says it's six hours. Concord was like three hours. That was the whole thing. Yeah, so it, would, it was a supersonic airliner. And it had a maximum speed over twice the speed of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would make the New York, London to New York run in three and a half hours rather than the usual six. Yeah. But in the or book, it, it says it's six and a half. Yeah. Which, why use Concord? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they did non-supersonic runs. I don't know. No, it was, the point was that it always flew at that thing and then stopped being particularly successful because people stopped being willing to pay that much for air travel eventually, especially after 9-11 and after one blew up on a runway and killed everyone on it. Yes. That was a brief rabbit hole for me. And then I realised that we didn't... Had you not read about all that before? (laughs) No, I like, obviously I was aware of Concorde and that it was really fast. Yeah, Um, I mean like the big flat crash and all that. No, no. Oh, right. I don't know how. I guess you're not as into plane crashes as I am. Yeah, I spend less time on the disaster subreddits. Yeah. Not no time, but less. I'm sad I never got to go on Concord. I got to 
go not like fly on Concorde, but I got to like have a look on one because they had one on display, like a museum piece at Duxford. I think oh, yeah. I don't know if they still do, but they did for a bit. Hmm. Yeah, um, it, it is weird. It's one of the few examples where I think we've definitely gone backwards in technology. It's like we can do this, and now we won't. I feel like a lot of it is to do with how expensive it is. Yeah, yeah. I know it never fully recoup uh, recouped its uh, like initial construction costs. Right. Okay. Um, there was a fleet of like not many of them. I think it was like twenty odd. Okay. Uh, so like an an individual journey would pay for itself and make a profit, but they never made enough money to like get back all of the costs of creating them in the first place. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, obviously, like I said, there's only so much people are willing to pay to fly. And it was like, I think it was something like 20% on top of like a first class flight. Oh, God. Yeah. No. That's yeah. A, yeah. That's a lot. Um, but yeah, I like how they've got all droopy noses on the runway. Yes. On the run- when they're taxiing around. I mean, yeah. So um, people can see over them. Cute. <laughs> and then, what else do we get? Yes, we go to Florida. Yes, we do. Which I enjoy the kind of introduction to Florida because it's uh, it reads like a footnote. Mm. Like I think if this had been a different book, this would have been a footnote, which is, you know, most of the inhabitants call it Florida. And then, well, they don't. They don't call it anything because they have six legs and buzz or have eight legs or have four legs and bark or moo or lion swamps pretending to be logs. Dogs. All of those are dogs. Yes. Yes. I've known many a dog lie in a swamp and pretend to be a log. Yep. Floridian mooing swamp dogs. Also a good band name. <laughs> Floridian mooing swamp dogs. Yeah, it's uh, obviously we go to Florida because that's where NASA lives. But um, the Everglades is a fun place to visit. I like the, the realisation was like, you didn't tell us about alligators. Like there's some real oversights on this. Like considering the thing, its entire existence revolves around these little gnomes staying alive. Yeah. I was like, didn't bother telling you about alligators or to get out of the way of these jets or <laughs> well it's just it's not quite thinking everything through yeah yeah understandable i suppose but like just the general survival of the little gnomes might be a good idea <laughs> but also if you think about if you mentioned alligators to say angelo and Ger- gerda then mm. you have to explain them and then you have to listen to an argument about them it might just be more efficient not to mention the alligators that's true that's true yeah speaking of alligators chip the ship, we finally get on the big Noma ship that's been buried on the moon. Which is an excellent place for it to be. I like that as a little revelation. I enjoy that the ship has been hiding on the moon. It's plain so sight. difficult to imagine the sheer scale of it. I think I talked about it when it turns up at the end of Diggers and kind of blots out the sun as well. Mm. Because it's fucking massive, but also it's fucking massive from the perspective of the gnomes who are having the sun blocked out for them. Yeah, I was imagining just Independence Day, basically. Yeah, that's fair. My favourite description, possibly of anything ever, not just of the ship, (laughs) is it was as featureless as an egg. God, you're weird about eggs. (laughs) I am. I don't know why, but that's just one of the funniest sentences I've ever read. It is. It's very effective too, isn't it? Although I feel like that's the kind of thing Pratchett would put a little footnote on and say, but of course, there's your, there's your bleached kind of egg that you find in the supermarket. If you find an egg in Nanny Og's backyard, it's speckled, covered in shit and feathers. I <laughs> I'm just going to start describing more things with as an egg. 
not necessarily as in a relevant way, as brave as an egg. Yes, yeah, like I do with a bee. Yes, I like yes. that. And let people just try and work it out. Because the thing is, if you say as a, for most things, it sounds like it does fit. Um, yeah, I people will just accept it. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. As as gullibly as an egg. As gullible as an egg. As slow as a concord. It would be as gullible as an orange, I suppose, wouldn't it? That's the uh, traditional. As seven foot as an alligator. Exactly so. And as happy as a bee. And as happy as a bee. So, yeah, I think those were the only major locations. Yeah, I think so. I don't think we need an in-depth discussion of the airport bin. Or the hotel room. Or the hotel room. Although the thing's interpretation of Grandson Richard 39's performance of My Way. Yes. <laughs> I assume the shower curtain. <laughs> yes, he's facing some sort of curtain. <laughs> How long will the human be wetting himself showering? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't put down for wordplay on this one because it's not as much of a focus, but that was the uh, the prime example. It was it was exactly the silly sort of funny that I needed in my brain this week. This was the good book to read. As silly as an egg. As conceptual as an egg. Little bits we liked. Little bits we liked. I have been watching Green Planet by David uh, David Attenborough's thingy. You know. Yeah. And they. The, the documentary does a bunch of uh, time lapses and like movement tracking time lapses. It's all very cool to show interaction of plants almost like in an animal way. Mm-hmm. And it just reminded me very much of like the different uh, time scales that you see gnomes and humans on and in other project books like mayflies and counting vines. Nice. And so I'm just recommending everyone go watch Green Planet and enjoy plants looking really creepy. I need to watch it. I do. iPlayer is so bad at promoting its own stuff, it really is. I heard I, it through fucking TikTok. iPlayer is just badly designed, full it stop. Is. It's a piece of shit. So, Frightened of Heights, Joanna? Uh, it's a very silly moment early on where um, they're explaining that you can't be hanging on the outside of an aeroplane yeah. because the air's <laughs> too thin. You get lots of air low down and not much when you go up. Why not so good? I don't know. It's frightened of heights, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if it was that, like when the gnomes realise they're in a plane that is higher than the clouds. <laughs> yes, I love that <laughs> moment too. And not long after that, we've got uh, Masklin, his map from a pocket diary, which was in one of the other books, in the name of faraway places Africa, Australia, China, Equator, printed in Hong Kong, Iceland. Um, (laughs) i just like the idea of everything written on a map being a place absolutely being a place yes key the uh the the mysterious land of key i'm sure full of symbols (laughs) here be telephone boxes in the os map i love os maps i don't know why they're so oddly satisfying i love them i've got one for our local area and i've got a victor not victorian quite a late Oh yeah, maybe Victorian late eighteen hundreds version of the same map. Oh, cool! So you can compare the two. Yeah, and then the other one I've got quite soon after that is when. Sorry, yes, masculine has once thrown peanut away, and he says, "Sorry, I mean you shouldn't. It's wrong to waste good food. It's wicked," said Goethe primly. Mm, don't know about wicked," said masculine, "but it's stupid." 
I like the moral, like masculine, just kind of gently pushing back against the moralizing of common sense. Yeah. Which, of course, is Gerda's talent and one he's going to have to use to get the uh, gnomes on board, literally. But um, unnecessary in this this situation. (laughs) No, it's not wicked to leave this behind. It is just not very clever. Overstrain governments, Joanna? I I thought we were doing that tomorrow. No, I think I had to pencil that in for Wednesday because I'm going to see my grandmother on Tuesday. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, it's when they're going to pass through immigration and customs and the things doing the sort of, are you now or have you ever been a member of a subversive organisation? Yes. Wait, and no. discussing. <laughs> do we want to overthrow the government? No, I don't think we do. <laughs> Very clever to ask people when they arrive, though. If someone was going to come here and do some subversive overthrowing, everyone would be down on him like a pound of bricks as soon as he said yes. <laughs> now, I'm sure that there's a good reason. Well, no, I'm not sure there is. I expect there's a good reason. That they have these questions, something like, even if they can't get you legally for being a member of whatever it is, the Communist Party, they can get you for lying about it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's something along those lines. I mostly like it because then later, you know, Ang- Anglo saying, well, it's a good idea to ask because then, you know, you yeah. know if yeah, someone's yeah. coming in. But then later <laughs> on, occur, they might lie. <laughs> they're discussing, uh, should they send a message to the Concord and say, like, don't worry, we haven't got lots of teeth and tentacles. And Angelo's saying... Well, if I had teeth and tentacles all over the place, that's the sort of message I would send. It's cunning. So, you know, he has thought about both sides of this by this point. He has, yes. Good old Angelo. He did mention his wife again to talk about how she liked dresses. So, yeah. Yeah, we're uh, we're not doing well on the Angelo's wife front. <laughs> like, clarify that I said wife front there, and I'm not speculating about <laughs> wife his underwear. Space front. <laughs> Not his wife runs. Oh, yeah, and the last one. I could have had literally any of the quotes from a scientific encyclopedia for the inquiring young man by Angelo. I love that. But my favourite is satellites. They are in space and stay there by going so fast they never stay in one place long enough to fall down. Televisions are bounced off them. They are part of science. Exactly. Speaking as someone who points to everything I don't understand and then says in capital, science. This was my favourite one. Geese, a type of bird which is slower than, e.g., Concord. (laughs) (laughs) Like me, I'm slower than, e.g., Concord. (laughs) I mean, he's not wrong. (laughs) He's not wrong. Many Um, things are slower than Concord. I like the idea of writing a whole encyclopedia, or just encyclopedia maybe, full of unhelpful comparisons like that. Like a a, a microbe, a single-celled organism smaller than, e.g., the Empire State Building. (laughs) Um. (laughs) sheep a domesticated animal stupider than e.g. Isaac Newton (laughs) I'll tell you what I've never had to rescue Isaac Newton from being tangled in bale twine I mean you haven't had to do that with a sheep either look we're married (laughs) your husband on the other hand legally I also untangle those sheep that's how marriage works (laughs) Uh, yes you get half of the untangling sheep (laughs) yes (laughs) if we divorce I get half of the rescued sheep even though they don't belong to him I get half of the karma for rescuing sheep yeah how much good karma do you get for rescuing sheep i mean i feel like oh a bit more than eg setting fire to an orphanage (laughs) (laughs) this is already my new favorite podcast bit (laughs) all right let's go to talking points do you want to talk about frogs francine 
Uh, yeah, worlds. briefly, and then a bunch of other crap too. So the bromeliad, the whole kind of uh, theme, the flower frog ecosystem. Yes, I'm 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 devastated to tell you that there, there aren't any frogs that spend their entire lives living in a flower. They do do all of their development in the flower, but they tend to move out of their tiny yeah. little pool after they've grown into frogs. There are some who live just around the same plants the whole time. Yeah, yeah, uh, but there'll be like a few that they go between. Because obviously, like breeding and that wouldn't work very mm-hmm. well without that. Um, you get all inbred in that. However, literally the gene pool. Yes, I was reading about the difference between commensalistic and mutualistic relationships, which they were trying to work out, they being scientists, um, whether the frogs in the the bromeliads, whether they saw that. And so um, commensalistic is when it benefits, say, in this case, the frogs to live in the plant, but it doesn't really benefit the plant, but it doesn't hurt the plant. Yeah. Um, But they think it might be mutualistic because when like a tadpole dies or when there's excrement or whatever, it adds nutrients to the flower, to the plant. Um, So that might be quite cool. There's a few different types of frogs that live around these plants. The golden frogs are the prettiest, the ones they're talking about in here. Um, There's also some other cool plant frogs that live in plants. There aren't many cool plants that live in frogs. And there's a fungus that lives in a frog that we don't like at all. But the Bornean chorus frog. Maximum 19 millimeters uh, lives in pitcher plants. You know, there's like yeah, carnivorous big... ones. Yeah. So oh, I guess cool. they're just like, they don't eat the frogs. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were very cool. So 19 millimeters, though. It's the smallest one in South America, I think, but there's a small yeah. one somewhere else. Um, anyway, so just microclimate, not microclimates, uh, microhabitats. I really like microhabitats they're very cool things i mean obviously bromeliads a very cool example but also like just the underside of a log and that stuff you did at school um mm-hmm. like the lichen is one of those things that scientists always go around it's like oh there's a 10 new species of lichen on this one underside of a rock because this rock yeah. has a slightly different ph than the moorland surrounding it which is very cool and then one that i particularly enjoyed was uh i've t- definitely talked about before on the podcast but elephant footprints Researchers in Uganda, I think the study that blew up and loaded of new stories was uh, they found that elephant footprints fill up with water and then they play an ecological role. So they become microhabitats for like at least 60 odd different microinvertebrates, beetles, mayflies, uh, tadpoles. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, it's very cool. But then what I haven't talked about, another more recent study found that frogs in Myanmar depend on elephants, uh, Asian elephants. Their flooded tracks become amphibian pathways, predator-free yeah. breeding grounds and condos. Yeah. yeah, I think it's cool. And then going all a bit metaphorical, because um, otherwise I'd just be listing facts about animals. Microhabitats. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about the people as bromeliads, which should lead into to what you were thinking about them, I think. Um, I don't know. It's, it's like the, the, the kind of time perception as well. So on the time scale of the universe are we still in that instant of the little frog just looking over the edge of the petal for the first time ah uh. because it's only quite recently so 50s is when we discovered super clusters or first theorized them and then 80s i think was when we started looking at things bigger than super clusters and i was reading recently about galaxy filaments which are the largest known structures in the universe and they're these massive thread-like formations with void in between and they can reach 80 megaparsecs 
which is the uh, 160 to 260 million light years which wow. is quite cool but yeah it's just this one one paragraph from like a random astrophysics wiki page which was the organization of structure arguably begins at the stellar level though most cosmologists rarely address astrophysics on that scale stars are organized into galaxies which in turn form galaxy groups galaxy clusters superclusters, sheets walls and filaments which are separated by immense voids creating a vast foam-like structure sometimes called the cosmic web Wow. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Little frog. Little frog on the petals. Peeking over the yeah, edge. This is a, like, I think astrophysics is just generally, genuinely this moment in time of the humans going, cool. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but oh, yes. Mip, mip. <laughs> mip, mip. Mip, mip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one day we'll have a, like, a proper language. But for now, we're just going, mip, mip. <laughs> mip, mip. Oh, no. Mip, mip. Yes. Anyway, I enjoyed I enjoyed reading about tiny little environments and then massive fuck off environments. Excellent. Well, there's some. There's definitely an existential crisis in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a bit tired for an existential crisis. If we can have one just before we overthrow the government. Okay. Yeah. So, like yeah. Wednesday morning, existential crisis. Yeah. Wednesday afternoon, overthrow the government. Wednesday. Do you want to get like evening. coffee on Thursday? Yes. Yeah, I think we'll need cool. one. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But yeah, the frogs is a writing device. Mm-hmm. So I have. I, think I talked a bit last week about the fact that Diggers feels like it's kind of a subplot to Wings. Mm-hmm. And it feels like originally it was all one book. And I've kind of got arguments on both sides for whether I think it would work better if it was all in one book or whether it works better divided. Mm-hmm. Um, catching up, one book catching up to the events of the other is a thing I kind of like, but I, Diggers feels so B plotty to me that a lot of it has parallels. But one reason I think this works better is its own book because it obviously gets to spread out, has more time to read, and it means you can have the frogs as this kind of sub-device slash B-plot. And it works Mm. so well because they parallel as they go along. You have, like, early on, you have the frogs taking their first steps over the edge of the branch as the gnomes are at the airport and getting to the edge of the branch and going, mip, mip. (laughs) Just as the gnomes take flight. I really love it as a writing device of taking this huge thing the gnomes are doing, but scaling it right down into the frogs, leaving their microhabitat and and peeking over the edge for the first time as the gnomes peek over the edge of the galaxy for the first time. Yeah. It's exactly what you were saying, but I love how it parallels in this book. Yeah, it's really nicely done. And that kind of takes me into all the main stuff I wanted to talk about, which is the gnomes dealing with their level of importance in the world. Mm. Again, not to go too existential. Okay. But, like starting with the An- the Angelo and Gerda conflict as it goes along, kind of not wanting to think about whether Arnold Bros were just humans and the store was made for humans and fighting about it. Angelo wanting Arnold Bros to exist just so he can be more resolute in not believing in him mm. in the way that most stubborn atheists on the Discworld would do. And getting close as they keep fighting about it, really fighting about what matters, what they're doing why they're here just to you know keep it nice and light and happy to talk about Mm. and as they're talking about this is much later on and uh angelo explaining that heat comes from the sun as well as light um and it's this big ball of fire in the sky and gerda sort of like what's keeping it up there he says nothing it's just sort of there and he's like is this generally known is it a book I call that irresponsible. Anyone could read that. That's the sort of thing that could really upset people. It is. It did. You know, it's called the galaxy or something. Personally, I'm against it. 
the Glaxi. <laughs> Glaxi. What he says, you know, you want to drive things fast. I want to make sense of them. You want to know that there are thousands of suns. I want to know why there are thousands of suns. Mm. And it's this finding their Same. place in a in a big world. It's it's a beautiful thing to read in this, as especially if you think about this as this parallel to diggers and if, think about one running as a B plot of the other. That's exactly what they're doing in diggers is trying to fight for their place in the world. Yes, yeah. And find themselves really lost and frustrated that they can't keep it. Even that tiny little corner, yeah. Exactly. And I'm masculine uh, trying to work out how old grandson Richard 39 is. And oh. <laughs> thinking about the fact he must be as old as the world. Yeah, that sounds And right. what that must be like. <laughs> uh, because... They're lacking perspective. It's that defamiliarization thing on the bigger, I don't know, existential level. Um, mm -hmm. So we've got lots of Foley because there's many pages where things back up. Well, I don't even really have an argument. Masculine feeling frustrated because he feels like they're just kind of rats or mice. Yeah. Yeah. That they were effectively just another non-essential thing to the store and it wasn't built for them. Although he never really believed in the store the same way they did. There's a difference between not really believing it and really being confronted with the fact that you're minor and not important. It's what we were talking about uh, last week, that kind of fear of... Mm. Yeah, and well, Grimmer goes ballistic about it. Masculine just kind of gets this grim, all right, we better go find somewhere else then, haven't we? I think the difference being that Masculine's got more of the context from the thing. He really yeah, does true. Yeah. know that they're going to find somewhere else, whereas Grimmer yeah. is kind of stuck with, okay, but where the fuck can I go? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very much cornered. And as a kind of sitting next door to this thing, when Grandson Richard gets picked up at the airport and the thing's translating, all the rest of it was just the things humans say to each other to make sure that they're still alive. Oh, it was such a nice quote, wasn't it? Yeah. Things like, how are you? And have a nice day. And what do you think of this weather then? Which <laughs> I was really strongly reminded of yesterday because yesterday was obviously the, the worst day of the storm and the casual uk subreddit it was just lots of people posting bit windy in it yeah flowy out look i've got a new bin <laughs> i've got two trampolines <laughs> i think there's something specific in a britain has this weird thing where there's loads of tiny microclimates but if a weather event happens it happens across the whole country because the country's so small mm -hmm. which means you can kind of see everyone having the same silly chat about the weather and it is those noises we make to each other mm. to sort of go we're still alive and we're in this together well, it's one of the reasons I do still love the internet. It's just, you know, pandemic as well on a much larger scale, wasn't it? With just all of the the silly little jokes and the, the being genuinely sad and angry and just, you know, all the tweets and Reddit posts and mm. who else is making bread then? And <laughs> yes, God, everyone. it's weird how we're all beering around each other on pavements, isn't it? <laughs> and how everybody <laughs> said hello to each other in the street during lockdown. and yeah. Because it was it was a bit like, obviously less happy but being yeah. on the streets during the lockdown was a lot like when it's christmas day and it's really yeah. empty so of course you acknowledge someone because it's the only other person yeah hi still alive yeah <laughs> but don't get me wrong there's also a lot of bullshit on the internet around the pandemic but those little things where we were nice to each other yeah yeah just reading like a little bulletin board yeah but yeah oh, sorry back on this though the other reason I think that these books kind of work better almost as one book is the equivalence to the fairy fear in this. Okay. 
you know, Grimmer. <clears throat> well, it's that that consistent fear Grimmer has um, oh. through Diggers. This fear of being turned into a flower fairy, being put in a stupid outfit. I mean, right? I thought we were going to go about humans being scared of fairies again back in the lords and ladies context. No, no this, I mean, this is gnomes being scared of being fairies. Yes, yes. Hopefully, at some point, we'll get to talk about creepy fae and stuff again because you know I love a love well, a creepy not, fairy. We'll just shoehorn it in somewhere. That's fine. Oh, I'll de- I, absolutely. <laughs> It's when when they're getting out of the hotel room when Richard's kind of confronted with them, a masculine stops for a second. He's like, "I could stay." It's the time it pausing, and it's the one of those points in history. And he's like, "I could stay. I could explain. I could ask for help, but he might trap us, and we'll be put in a cage and be prodded, and they won't understand. They didn't want to hurt us. They just didn't understand what we were, and we haven't got time to let them find out. And it's this massive yeah. realization: if we are in their world, they are not in ours. Yeah, yeah." And if we get trapped, there's just nothing we can do. Like, yeah, and that, he that is like a point of no return if we have to get to that point. And he justifies it to uh, Gerda a few pages later. Of you know, he'd have given us a proper meal and taken us home in a shoebox or carried us around in his pocket. Mm-hmm. And of course, eventually, masculine does take all of those risks. He lets himself be captured because he needs the thing, and he climbs into a himself. pocket. <laughs> and he climbs into a pocket, yeah. and he does speak to Richard, and has Richard translate, and he's not kept. But that's because by that point, he has the confidence of like either the ship's if the ship's coming, the ship's coming, and I will get mm. on the ship. I, oh, on the other first episode, by the way, I remember saying that um, I was going to slow down some audio to see what human sounded like, and I did do that, and it's just really annoying, and I'm not going to put that in the podcast. But if anyone wants to, just slow your own voice down by ten times. That's yeah. <laughs> Sorry, carry don't on. Listen to, don't listen to our voices slow down ten times. They're annoying enough as yeah. they are. <laughs> all right, speak for yourself. I'm mostly mine. I've, I've, I have to edit my own voice all the time. I'm so used to it now. I'm more used to it now. I listen to the the podcast every week when we're about to release it. Yeah, I still don't get people who listen to podcasts on like 1.5 speed. I know there are people that do, and I hate it. I've I've done it for like tutorial videos when I did that development course, the same one you did. I did a lot of that 1.5 instructional videos are often quite slow. No, oh, and I my did. brain I won't work that. Yeah, it just wanders off if it's not. Well, it's probably why I like hyperpop. Yeah, that's fair. But my last point on this, you know, as Masculine only is willing to reveal himself to humans and, you know, he comes to this massive conclusion of, okay, we really are in their world. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to find something else because we cannot ha- have a world here. Yes. There's a great line about humans believing that they're the most important people. They think they're the most important creatures on the carrot, the planet. On the carrot? On the planet. Sorry. <laughs> I read away from the most important creatures on the carrot. Well, it's something that's smaller than the universe, e.g. a carrot, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry. I'm going to take a small interruption because I didn't say when you said, you don't have an annoying voice, Joe, it's fine. I edit your voice all the time. So oh, just thank so you. you. Know. Yeah. Thank you for I, I, forgot, I forgot to argue against you because I got stuck. Um, what, <laughs> what, what carrot are we on? I'm sorry. I'm so tired. <laughs> a carrot bigger than human importance, e.g. the Empire State Building. Thank you. And the masculine sort of going, well, everyone knows, well, gnomes know that gnomes are more important. And I think that's the spot where he suddenly relates to humans for a second. Yes. Uh, oh. He was like, oh, fuck, we are just yeah. are all caught in our own self-importance, aren't we? And yeah, I kind of like that. Yeah. It's like when Fratchet points out that everybody's word for their own tribe is the people. Yeah. <laughs> the real people. So, yeah. 
There's a nice moral to the book that no one really got the hubris they needed. Yeah. Do I even mean hubris? Humility. Yeah, they had lots of hubris. Yeah. Anyway, what did you put? Oh, yeah. What do you think their original planet is like? Yeah. So I was thinking like, well, A, when they get back, I don't know how long it's going to take them to get there, but it's going to be nice to have a world that's on the scale for them. But they're going to come across as fucking rubes. Yeah. Like, it's going to be really tricky. Because it's going to be so technologically advanced, it must have been if they were able to build this ship in the first place. Yeah. I mean, they're clearly quick at picking up these concepts and things, and I guess maybe there'd be very gnome-oriented ways of teaching. But they'll have to go to, like, primary school. Um, Yeah, then I was just wondering, like, on a general, there's, like, a a smaller planet. Um, I mean, it must have similar gravity, probably, wouldn't it? Um, I was going to say it must have a similar gravity and like environment to Earth because that's what they survive in. Yeah. So would it be like a planet the same size? But I feel like the like flora and fauna might be smaller. Yes. Yeah. Like, or they'd be like geographic. They'd treat them like geography. Yeah. Yeah. If they were bigger. But yeah, the yeah everything on a smaller scale maybe maybe it's a less oxygen rich planet slightly. Or I don't imagine know. if they had little dogs. Oh, I hope they have little dogs. Yeah. Sorry, that's not really helpful. I'm just now imagining really tiny dogs. <laughs> oh, a little tiny desk dog. Yes. Anyway, yeah, I was just like mildly thinking to myself. And like they're they're all very per- I'm not sure if it's just because they've been living in holes and they, I, I think I'm thinking like masculine when he gets told off by the thing. It's like, no, that's just primitive belief. Stop reading yeah. into everything. I was like wondering <laughs> if maybe they have a different coloured sky or something, but probably not if it's the same atmosphere, I guess. Boring. I feel like not everything would be exactly the same. Yeah. And again, I'd be curious about how the technological advancement affects the state of the planet. Like, is it all Boring. big, tiny, futuristic cities? That's true. Maybe we'll go, they'll go back and find out everyone's wiped themselves out. Yeah, true. They might have to just start again on a completely the sequel empty planet. trilogy would be very depressing. I'm into it. Yeah. Um, yes, that's, that, that was just a general speculation. That's a nice little speculation. Do you have an obscure reference for Neil? I do. It's Dan Crail. Quail. Crail. Had you heard of this guy? No. Okay, so the um the reference is that when they're overhearing the the humans talk about the spaceship, one of them says, The other humans around it are trying to explain what a planet is. Doesn't it know? Many humans don't. Mr. Vice President is one of them. <laughs> and the annotated Pratchett file says I don't think anybody in the Western world would not have caught this reference to Dan Quayle, but let's face it, in 20 years, people will still be reading Crouchit and hopefully this APF, but who'll remember Mr. Ex-Vice President? Annotation update in 2008. It is a bit scary for me to realise, but as I write this update, no less than 15 of these 20 years have passed since I first (laughs) wrote the other paragraph. And now it is, uh, again, another 10, not 10. What am I trying to say here? 12. No, 14. Fuck. 14 years. Um, so yes, the 20 years have come and gone. And yeah, I, I had no idea who that was, so I looked it up. Um, and he is, was, is? No, I don't think he's dead. Uh, he was uh, George Bush's vice president, um, but the first one, HW. George Bush Sr. Yeah. And, um, oh, God, it's, I'm sorry. Where's my little quote? There's a long wiki page. There we go. So what makes it relevant, I think, is... Dan Quayle was like known for the gaffes, you know, like right. George George Bush Jr. would eventually be known for that kind of thing. 
Shortly after Bush announced the Space Exploration Initiative, which included a crewed landing on Mars, crewed as in with a crew, not crewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Land on the Mars and draw a giant dig. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle was asked his thoughts on sending humans to Mars. In his response, he made a series of scientifically incorrect statements. Uh, Mars is essentially in the same orbit as Earth. Mars is somewhat the same distance from the sun, which is very important. We've seen pictures where there are canals, we believe, and water. If there is water, that means there is oxygen. If oxygen, that means we can breathe. <laughs> this is the 80s. This isn't like Ray Bradbury era. Um, yeah. That's that's uh, it's beautiful. Isn't it, though? Yeah. <laughs> but I realised I had heard <laughs> of him and had forgotten his name. And that the gaff that became like the issue for him later on was during a an elementary school spelling bee where he altered 12-year-old student William Figueroa's correct spelling of potato to potato with an E on the end. Um, and then that like made national news. And... I mean, don't get me wrong, I will sometimes <laughs> accidentally put an E on the end of potato, but I'm never confident about exactly, it. Exactly, yeah, it's the confidence Either to way. correct somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Canals on Mars. <laughs> anyway, I quite liked that, yeah, um, the annotated Pratchett file was so confident that people would get it and then were like, oh, wait, no, in 20 years, maybe not. So I wonder I wonder what everyone will have forgotten in 20 years about our current state. Hopefully everything. I hope to forget Hopefully all we will this. get like uh, um, men in black. Collective amnesia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, I think that's everything we can say about our terrific trilogies. I think it probably is. Yes, <laughs> probably. We did. That was better than expected. I mean, <laughs> some of those sentences were pretty much understandable. A lot of yours were. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we definitely did say some sentences. Sorry, I was just double checking uh, what book we were doing next. <laughs> I'd say the podcast was more comprehensible than e.g. the Indus Valley writings that we haven't managed to decipher yet. <laughs> <laughs> and more cohesive than e.g. sheep. Yes. Sorry, I don't know why I've now decided to just dunk on sheep for the rest of the podcast, but it's happening and I'm sticking That's to it. fine. You know, they can't get you. Yeah, but they, they can't do really stairs. Can they? Glare at me yeah. angrily. All right. Uh, uh, outro, Joe. It's going to go right, worse sorry. from here. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The True Shall Make You Fret. We are going to take a little week off and we will be back. We are talking next month about The Last Continent. Yes. The final one. Yes. Uh, so we'll be back on the 7th of March to talk about that in the Rinse meantime. Yes. Rincewind's coming back and we are going on a trip to a place. There are pies in it. There are pies. In the meantime, dear listener, you can follow us on Instagram at the True Show Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod. You can follow us on Facebook at the True Show Make You Fret. Join our subreddit community, r slash TTSMYF. Email us your thoughts, queries, castles, albatrosses, snacks, and big fuck off UFOs, the True Show Make You Fret Pod at gmail.com. Yes, I'm aware technically it's not a UFO, it's been identified. And if you want to support us financially, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the True Show Make You Fret and exchange your hard earned pennies for some bonus nonsense. Including next Weeks probably rabbit hole next week issues joanna talks about valentine's day yes we're going to talk about plague victims and bees 
Uh, also, please do rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Give us five stars. It helps other people find us. And, of course, tell everybody ever that you've ever met about us. Yes. But only people won't nice like things. you for it, but we might get more listeners. <laughs> we might. But only say nice things about us because we're very sensitive. That's true. And in the meantime... Dear listener, the ship curved up towards the stars and below the world stopped unrolling because it had reached its edges and became a black disc against the sun. Names and frogs looked down on it and the sunlight caught it and made it glow around the rim, sending rays up into the darkness so that it looked exactly like a flower. Definitely not dragging this out because I forgot to have the last page open. No, you're good, you're good. It's fine. Nobody's noticed. <laughs>